0: The Tanya of Rabbi Schneir Zalman of Liadi Taught by Rabbi Ben-Zion Krasniansky Tanya's text elucidated by Rabbi Yosef Weinberg
1: Tonight is the yard site, the 30th yard site of the Rabbits and Mushka, the Rabbi's wife actually she passed away like tonight like 30 years ago was tonight Tuesday night Chav Bez Shabbat 22nd of Shabbat so the learning is in her merit may her neshama intercede on our behalf and be a good advocate for all of us and may we be elevated together with her elevation and may she draw down blessings from Hashem each and every one of us everything that we need materially and spiritually 284 so the question this is the third essay and the question that he asked is what's the difference between prayer and Torah Torah. why when you study Torah and you pray with the right intention the proper intention they're both elevated to the same heights but if you study Torah without any intention, without any negative intention, not for any ego's sake, but without any godly intention, the Torah is elevated to a lower level, and prayer, however, remains stuck. It's not elevated. So what, why the distinction? I so say, explain, because Torah study, when you're studying Torah, your mind is occupied, engaged in studying Torah, you're learning the substance of what you're engaged and occupied in isn't holy, is holy. So as long as there's no negative intention that pulls it down, it, um, it goes up. Not as high as if you had a godly intention, if you studied for the sake of Hashem. But as long as there's no negative intention, the act of study itself is a holy act, and that engages you and occupies you, and that substance elevates it, so that's elevated. It bursts out of the atmosphere. It goes up. It ascends. Versus prayer, if your mind is not into it, you're just mouthing the words. If you're in Chicago when you're praying, then <laughs> it's not... It can't be elevated. It remains stuck. That explains the difference. Now he's going to say... petapa page 284. But since...
0: But since his intention is addressed to Hashem... He is, after all, in a state of prayer, except that alien thoughts interpose. It is, therefore, easily corrected so that his prayer may once again rise to the state from which it was originally repelled.
1: So sins in general. When a person is praying, even though if your mind is not focused on the words, on the meaning and the content of the prayer, but the act of praying is a divine act. What are you doing? You're standing and talking to Hashem. So that minimal intent is there, is present. You know you're standing. It's a sacred moment. You're standing. You're talking to Hashem. You're praying. So that's a general intent. So because you have that general intent, it's even though the prayer goes nowhere because it's stuck in neutral because it can't rise above the atmosphere because there's no intent in the words, there's no feeling and meaning imbued in the words of prayer, but since you have that general intent, therefore it's ready to be elevated. It's, it's ripe for elevation. It's, it's there. The words, they're not lost. The words are stuck. It's very easy. All it needs is a little push to get it unstuck. How do you do that?
0: When he prays with proper intention even one full prayer, gathered piecemeal from the prayers of the entire year. When on one day, one passage of the prayers was read with proper intent, and on another day, another passage, and so on, and then all these passages are gathered together, thus constituting one complete prayer, from the prayers of a whole year, then all one's prayers throughout the year are elevated. Thus it is written in Mikdash
1: Melech on Parsha's Bukhudai. The Zohar says if a person prays once a year, one proper prayer, a heartfelt prayer that's genuine, that's moving, that's soul-stirring, that prayer has the ability to elevate all of the year's prayers. So your prayers are waiting to be elevated. But your prayers weren't answered. The reason why your prayers weren't answered is because they went nowhere. <laughs> they never arrived. You know, I think it was in the news the other week. They found this uh, post, post, uh, postal worker, postmaster, that he had tons of mail in his house. He never delivered it. <laughs> so you was wondering why they never got the checks, never got the mail, never arrived because he was too lazy. <laughs> he decided, why bother? He would take the mail, just dump it in his house and go home, and retire early. So your prayer, the reason that our prayers are not answered is because it was never delivered, <laughs> it stuck, it stuck in neutral. But if you pray, the Zohar says, one proper prayer in the year, it has the ability not only to elevate that prayer, but all the prayers of the year are waiting to be delivered. So it's late, but it's, it's delivered. And all of a sudden you may wonder why all of a sudden Hashem is answering all your prayers. I prayed a month ago, two months ago, three months ago, six months ago. They're being answered now because now for the first time it was delivered. But that's what the Zohar says. With the Mikdash Melo, the commentary... And the Zohar says something novel. He writes, the Zohar doesn't mean, like it means literally, that you have to pray one whole prayer properly. Even that's asking too much. If you pray one blessing of the prayers, one day you prayed one part, one segment of the prayer you prayed properly. Another day you prayed another part of the prayer properly. So if within the year you prayed one section, another section, Hashem will put together all the prayers. If it makes up a whole, even though it's like pieces of the puzzle, it's different days, different weeks, different months maybe. <laughs> and He puts it all together and it constitutes a single, a single prayer. In general, the, the previous Rebbe said that Hasidim used to daven, focus on davening and really uh, daven deeply and intently they would make a, a kaneich in the siddha they would make a, they would fold the page or bend the page because what they would do is they would take one part of the prayer one page of the prayer one page and that part they really prayed they really focused and you know, not just the simple meaning of the word but in the very intense and that part they prayed they felt they really prayed they weren't just mouthing words they really lived it experienced it it was deep it was soul stirring it was moving heartfelt the rest of the prayer maybe not the rest of the prayer was just a prayer they were just saying the words or they didn't really feel didn't touch them so they would make a a fold in the page that I pray till here. Tomorrow I'll continue. Tomorrow I'll focus on the next page. And maybe with a the time, they were able to cover the whole prayer. And that's fine. Because that's real prayer. Real prayer is that you want it to hit home. You want it to ascend. You want to touch the divine. You're climbing the ladder, Jacob's Ladder. And it's a two-way street, Jacob's Ladder. The angels went up the ladder and the angels came down the ladder. Because when you hit home, when the prayers ascend, you strike gold. And then Hashem responds. You get the response that you're looking for. And the higher it ascends, the deeper and more powerful and more immediate the response. So the purpose of prayer is to really connect. But if you're praying and you're not connecting, you're saying words and you're not connecting. I say some synagogues is packed with prayers. Especially the cantor's prayers. But everyone else's prayers as well. Because it's going nowhere. <laughs> prayers are not connecting. You don't feel connected. You don't feel elevated. You don't feel inspired. You don't feel moved. You don't feel changed. You know, are you a changed person after the prayer? as a result of the prayer. Real prayer is you walk out a different person, you rejuvenate it, you feel consciously connected, you recharge, you re-energize, you feel consciously connected with godliness, a little more refined, a little more egoless, a little more genuine, a little more authentic, a little more sincere, a little more honest. You know, prayer has many meanings. Prayer is a time of self-evaluation. You can evaluate yourself honestly. It's a time to shift, to change. Prayer is the fire. You can mold the metal and mold the iron and shape it. But that could only get done when it's a real prayer. If it's cold and flat, it's flat. It has no energy. It goes nowhere. You know the early planes? Went up for three feet and, <laughs> and it collapsed. Our prayers, if we're lucky, <laughs> maybe it goes up three feet. <laughs> it, just, it doesn't soar, it doesn't, it doesn't go anywhere. Then you have different levels of prayer. You have low, low flying planes, you have, you have jets that go out of the atmosphere, you know, rockets, rocket ships that go out of the atmosphere. It all depends. That's prayer. Prayer is to soar, to go, go high, to go beyond yourself, to go beyond the confines of this world. You know, prayer gives you a perspective. When you're flying high, imagine seeing the world from up there. You know, It changes your whole perspective. puts everything into the right perspective. But if you're stuck in the ground... You can't see past your own nose. That's the whole. From up there, you see the bigger picture. You see everything is in its right proportion. So that's that's prayer. But prayer, yes, it doesn't go anywhere. But since in general you know that you're praying, in general you know you're talking to Hashem, you know you're doing something godly. You're talking to Hashem. It's not natural. What goes on in prayer is not natural. You walk into any house of worship, nobody's moving their lips. You walk into a shul, a synagogue, a Beit that one is talking. Who are you talking to? You're talking to Hashem. So you're standing Shem neser, you have a private audience with Hashem. So the act itself, you're standing in awe, you're standing in reverence, you're talking to Hashem. So even if the prayer is flat and it goes nowhere, it's ready to be elevated. It's ready to be released. All it needs is one good prayer to take everyone with them. The Baal Shem The Baal Shem would pray. He would pray for hours. He would cover his face with his talus and he would pray. And one of his students asked the Baal Shem "He wants to. What's taking him so long? Why is he praying so long?" He says, "When I pray, I'm elevating all the souls, the thousands and thousands of souls that need elevation, that are stuck." And I'm elevating them. When I'm ele- With my prayer, my elevation, I'm elevating them. So one of his students says, Rebbe, I would like to participate. I would like to experience this with you, to see it. Rebbe warned him. Hashem warned him, listen, it's, I don't advise it. <laughs> but he insisted. Hashem said, okay. You'll stand with me in the Shemun I think he said, stand on the Maitalas. And he saw the thousands of souls that came were waiting for the to he fainted like he couldn't, he couldn't uh, deal with it. So when the, when the tzaddik ele- is elevated and connects, he elevates all of the souls who need elevation as well. So one proper prayer has the power to elevate all the prayers of the year. So if you, even if you take a piece of a puzzle here, a little piece of the prayer here, you said this blessing... With a proper intent it was genuine and he said this prayer and Hashem puts it all together and then all the prayers of the year are elevated so it's easily elevated waiting to be elevated it's, it's waiting to happen You thus see
2: that in one sense Torah without proper intent is superior to prayer without proper intent for such Torah study creates angels in the world of Yitzira, while prayer without proper intent is repulsed on the other hand the lack of proper intent in Torah study is such that it prevents it from ascending, as in the case of studying for the sake of self-aggrandizement, then this is lower than prayer without proper intent. For one proper prayer, or even a compilation of different prayers that add up to one prayer with proper intent elevates all the other prayers of that year. With regard to Torah study, by contrast, even if one later studies with proper intent, this does not elevate his previous study. Actual repentance is required. Until such time, one's Torah study is an exile, within the klipa which spawned his ulterior motive. Nevertheless, since all Jews will eventually repent for, quote, no one of them will be rejected, our sages advise that one should already, always study Torah and perform its vote, even though they are not done for their own sake. And, indeed, if they involve an ulterior motive, for eventually he will receive the state of lishma when he repents. This is explained by the Rabbi at the end of chapter
1: 39. So each one has an advantage over the other. Torah, without neutral, without proper intent, without improper intent, is superior to prayer, because then it is elevated. It does pierce through the heavens on a lower level, not the same level if it, as if it's done, when it's done with proper intent. Prayer, when it's done with proper intent, is elevated the same place just as high as, as a Torah study with a proper intent. But prayer, without the proper intent, goes nowhere. On the other hand, because the act of prayer is a holy act, you're standing and talking to Hashem, even though it's flat and it goes nowhere, it's stuck, but it can be elevated in the moment. However, Torah, when you study Torah with the improper intent, for egotistical motives, you want to be famous, you want to show how brilliant you are, you just enjoy the act of studying, nothing to do with Hashem, you would enjoy playing chess also, and you would enjoy studying math and science and physics, or philosophy, you're just sharpening your mind, nothing to do with Hashem. So when you have a negative, especially if you're fueled by arrogance and ego and the more. Torah you study, the more egotistical you become, look how brilliant I am, look how smart I am and if you have any doubts, I'll be the first to tell you how brilliant I am. So, um, that Torah imprisons the, the Torah and that shackles the Torah and holds the Torah down. In that case, you don't say, if you're going to study Torah once for the right purpose, it elevates all the Torah that you studied all year. He well, doesn't say that. The Zohar only says it about prayer. In that case, you have to do Teshuvah. You have to repent. For studying Torah, you have to feel regret in your heart, and you have to feel, you have to repent and change, and feel brokenhearted for the fact that you studied Torah for all the wrong reasons. So you took the king's head and put it in the toilet bowl. You took something so holy, and you brought Hashem into a dungeon. You studied Torah, and you, instead of bringing Hashem into a palace, instead you brought him into a dungeon, to a sewer. So you have to feel brokenhearted, and then your Torah can be elevated. And that's the reason why we, the halacha says that even when a Jew is studying Torah for an ulterior motive, for all the wrong reasons, halacha says, continue studying Torah. That should not be a precondition. Why bother studying Torah? I know how coarse I am. I know how crass I am. I know how arrogant and egotistical and selfish and self-centered, self-absorbed I am. Why even bother studying Torah? <laughs> let, me, let me go home. I'll go to sleep. When I'm refined and godly and egolist, then I'll open the Torah. We say, No. Don't exempt yourself. You have to study Torah, even if you're reading for the wrong reasons. And even though in the meanwhile the Torah is in pain and you're schlepping the Torah in all the wrong places. But since inevitably you will do Teshuvah, you will do Teshuvah. Torah promises you'll do Teshuvah. Then when you do Teshuvah, then all the Torah study that that you studied will be elevated. So we see there's an advantage and a disadvantage in each one, Torah and prayer. Because they're different. Torah and prayer are two different things. The act of studying Torah, you're studying something divine. You're studying Hashem's wisdom. So the substance is holy, even without any intent. Unless you have a negative intent, which has the power to take something so holy and put the king's head into the toilet bowl. You have that power. Hashem is a gambler. He entrusted his faith in us. We would call it blind faith, (laughs) but he has so much trust in us places his faith and destiny in our hands. We have that power to take something so holy and really bring it into the lowest place, cause so much harm, cause so much damage, inflict so much pain on Hashem. Hashem is hurting. But he gave us the choice. That's Torah. Prayer, the act of prayer is really a godly act. I'm talking to Hashem. It's not a natural act. So, so therefore, even when it's not done in the proper sense, my mind is wandering. I'm thinking of other things. But, and even if it's flat and it doesn't soar and it doesn't pierce through the heavens, but it can not be too far off. So therefore it remains flat, but it can be elevated in a second. You don't have to do the truth. The moment you pray one prayer, or even if it's one prayer in the year, it's a composite, a little prayer here, a little piece of prayer there, and Hashem puts it all together, and you have one good whole prayer between all these pieces it has the power to elevate the prayers of the whole year. And maybe that's why that. And yeah, if you pray properly that prayer will be extra special because you have all the energy that pent up energy of all the year the whole year all those prayers come together. You know it's like um, someone was traveling once place it wasn't settled civil, it wasn't a there was no Jewish community. And he felt an elevation of holiness that he never didn't even feel at home in a very Jewish community. So He asked this Hasidic master, I forget who it was, why, why is this? And he says it's very simple. Because the godly sparks in this community, there's no one there to elevate. Them. There's one Jew who comes in <laughs> and he's a holy Jew, and he's thinking about Hashem, and he's, with his one prayer, he's elevating all these, all these sparks attracted to him, and he's elevating all these sparks. That's why he feels such tremendous holiness. In the most unsuspected places, you wouldn't expect to feel such holiness in such a God-forsaken place. But it's precisely because it's so God-forsaken, that if there's one, like a magnet, the holy sparks are attracted, so you felt this elevation of all these sparks. So too, all these prayers are waiting to be elevated. They're stuck, but they're waiting to be... And you come along and you do one good prayer. All these prayers, like a magnet, are attracted. All these prayers are elevated together with that. So you can imagine how powerful that prayer is. And it evokes a powerful response. So that's prayer. Now he's going to address another contradiction.
3: As to what standing in the parashat that prayers without proper intent is repelled into the lowest heaven, indicating that it is allowed to rise at least to the
1: point. In other words, it is, it does rise, it's repelled to the lowest heaven, but it gets to heaven. Yes, the lowest heaven, but it's in heaven. So, how do you reconcile that with the whereas with with the, in the Zohar? Continue.
3: Where in the Zohar, parashat by Kahel, the, the implication is that only if it is simly seemly word come by the proper intent, the, do the appointed angels ascend with it with it, to the atmosphere of the heaven above. How does this letter passage accord with the previously quoted statement in the today that even when the prayer is without proper intent, it is still ascended, at least to the lowest term?
1: So this is a contradiction. The there's, there's Zohar of Iyakil that he quoted earlier that says that if the prayer is not prayed properly, then it goes nowhere. It's only if it's prayed with the proper intent that with the the angel helps it rise and it ascends to the atmosphere of the heaven above, but otherwise it remains stuck. It doesn't rise to the heaven. And in Bekudeh, it says in the Zohar that it is expelled, repulsed to the lowest, lowest heaven. But at least it's in heaven. So it's a contradiction. Okay, Jeff continues. So he answers, it's no contradiction.
0: This seeming contradiction presents no problem. For the expression in Pekudya, the lowest heaven of the heavens that govern the world, refers to of vatsiyahs. The Whereas in Parshas Ve'echel, the reference is to Zah of Asiyah, as is written in Etzchayim Shah Hashemah, chapter 5, in reference to Zah of Asiyah.
1: So in other words, what he's saying is, there's different levels of heaven. When you say that it goes to the lowest heaven, he's talking about the heaven that's our atmosphere, the heaven above our earth. And there's a parallel spiritual heaven, which is limited to our atmosphere. Versus the heaven. In Parshas Vayakel, when a Jew prays properly, it pierces through our atmosphere and goes to the higher heaven, the heaven of the higher level, the level of Zah. In other words, what he's saying is that when you pray, you're basically trying to break out of your boundaries. You're trying to rise above your Selfish nature, your ego, egocentrism. You're trying instead of being ego-centered, you're trying in prayer to be- become God-centered, you're trying to rise above nature. There those who go through their entire life like an animal goes through its entire life, never once look up to heaven. It walks on four. Its entire life is engaged and occupied: how to how to survive, how to eat, how to continue its existence. And that's it. That's its entire focus. So people can go through their entire life focusing on, on the self-preservation, on money, power, fame, indulgence. That's their whole life. They don't once look up to heaven, never once wonder and think about Hashem, think about godliness, think about holiness, think, think about the purity, think about something greater than us, ourselves. So they never look up to heaven. So when you pray, you're trying to reach the heaven, trying to rise above nature and above your own personal nature. When you rise to heaven, you can rise above your own personal nature as well. You can go against your nature. You can have impulse control. You learn to refine your nature. You learn to transform and change and... Refine and make yourself a little more godly, a better person, better character. And when you rise above nature, God is interactive. When you rise above nature, when you reach the heavens, Hashem responds. He'll answer your prayer, even if it takes going against nature. Let's say by nature you're ill and there's nothing that could be done naturally. But when you rise above nature, suddenly miracles happen. And just because naturally you're ill, Hashem sends a healing. Avram couldn't have children by nature. According to the stars, he couldn't have any children with Sarah. But Hashem lifted him up above the atmosphere, above the stars. He says, since Avram lived his life, he didn't live his life dictated by nature. He lived a life, he rose above nature changes his nature. Hashem responded in kind that his life was miraculous. That he had a child. A 90-year-old mother and a 100-year-old father had a child. Completely unnatural. Because Abraham lived that type of life. He walked in the fire for three days. The hottest fire. And he walked in, as if it was a botanical garden. It was miraculous. Because that's the type of life that he lived. So the more, the deeper the prayer, the higher the prayer, the more elevated the prayer, then the prayer accomplishes its goal. You can literally, physically change nature. But if you don't rise above nature, you can't free yourself from prison. If you're locked inside, you need someone on the outside to open the door. If you're locked in prison, you can't free yourself from prison. You need to be the outsider, only someone from the outside. So when a person is living in this dimension, and living and operates in the t- totally natural dimension, there's absolutely nothing godly in his life. There's nothing that's a little, that takes faith, that takes depth, that takes a little oomph, that takes a little challenge. Everything is, I operate purely by nature. Whatever the doctor tells me, whatever a medical expert, financial expert tells me, and that's it. That's my whole world, and I don't, I don't have a strong faith in Hashem, and my relationship to Hashem is not exactly very vibrant. I'm just operating my nature. I take care of myself. It's all about earning money and surviving and power, fame, enjoying myself, and that's my whole life. There's no sense of serving Hashem. There's no sense of connecting with Hashem. There's no consciousness of Hashem. It's not a reality. My reality is this world. You put yourself in a box. You put yourself in a lockbox. You straightjacketed yourself, and you're going nowhere, because even Hashem can't help you, because that's the world. That's your reality. That's the reality that you created. And even when you're praying, it's nebuch, it's so weak. You can fall asleep on such prayers. This is called prayer, like most synagogues. You walk into the shul, it's like the prayer is half-hearted, mumble through the words or race through the words. I'm halfway around the world (laughs) when I'm praying. It's not present, it's not actual, it's not real. It's not really I'm talking to Hashem. It's not that I have a relationship with Hashem. It's not that my soul stirs that I'm moved and something is shifting or something is changing and I'm inspired and I'm on fire.
3: Nothing.
1: I'm a piece of ice before I started praying and I'm even colder after I finish praying. Matter of fact, now I'm more impatient. I can't wait to get to the Chalom, to the Kiddush. So there's there's absolutely no... Nothing happened. Nothing changed. Prayer is supposed to change me. (laughs) Inspire me, light my fire, ignite the spark. And instead, it's the dullest, most meaningful, meaningless exercise. When is this going to end already? <laughs> when is this prayer going to finish already? <laughs> right? So, such a prayer goes nowhere. And you remain stuck and neutral. Or, or if you're not going backwards. So you can't, if it remains in the heaven, in the lowest heaven, in our firmament, in our atmosphere, the level of malchus, which runs this world, which is our atmosphere, how can you change the world when you are, when you are part of the world? When you're part of the problem, you can't be the solution. You can't do tikkun olam when you are the olam. When you are part of the darkness and part of the problem, how in the world are you going to bring tikkun olam? How in the world are you going to change the world? When you are the world, you live by the world, you live by the rules of the world, you live by the laws of the world, and the the, the dictates of the world. You have absolutely no energy and no strength to rise above the world, to, 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 to lift yourself up and go against the nature and go beyond nature. You're very comfortable. You're very comfortable with yourself. You know, a baby is very comfortable in its diaper. It <laughs> could be sitting for hours in schmutz and then. And come. The sign of maturity. The baby suddenly feels uncomfortable, it means now you're ready to be a toilet trained. You're ready to. because it means it's a sign of growth. You don't feel comfortable anymore. But most people are very comfortable with themselves, Smug. Not only are they comfortable with themselves, they celebrate themselves. Today everyone is celebrating, Everyone's so proud. <laughs> so you're so comfortable and so proud, if anyone dare suggest, maybe you should grow up, maybe you should change, you know, you're sitting in schmutz. But don't be so proud, don't be, don't, I wouldn't celebrate it in the streets, I wouldn't announce it in the streets. It's not, not so exciting, it's, it's actually shameful and embarrassing. So how could you pray? There's no light. There's no illumination. There's nothing godly. It's nothing. You're stuck. It's flat. You're going nowhere. Quickly. But when the prayer is done with, with egolessness, with spirituality and energy and genuineness, the prayer rises above the world. Even if it's just the heaven of ZA, the higher level, but that's already a level that's beyond this world. You've broken out. You've broken free of the atmosphere. You've broken out of your shackles. You've broken out of your chains. Now some light, some illumination. Now change can happen. Now things can start happening. Now there's a the prayer could evoke a response, and something miracles can happen. Things can change. The sick could become healed. Your business could start being successful. Whatever you need in your life, there could be a movement, there could be a change, because there was a movement within you. <laughs> there was a change within you. Something shifted, something changed, something real. That evokes a response. God is interactive. That's prayer. Prayer is a two way street. Hashem is interactive. He's waiting for our prayer. He responds. The moment we, we climb the ladder, he immediately he responds. And the response is commensurate to the to the to the initiation. To the arousal from below, that's prayer. So that's why the two Zohar's are not, no contradiction. They're talking about two different things.
0: It could be argued that the above questions presuppose that the lower heaven of Hakudeh was at the same level as the heaven above of Vayechal. For the lower heaven too is above the sun. By the same token, the answer refers to two distinct levels of heaven. Fakude refers to Malkut of Asia while b'yechel by refers to zavasiya, to which prayers ascend when they are seemly. From this level they ascend yet further to the godliness of the Tenth Sphere of Yetzirah and Berea.
1: So it's just a launching pad. From there, once it pierces through the heavens, once it goes out of the atmosphere, from there it continues to to go higher and higher.
0: The main point here is, however, that when a prayer is not seemly, it is not elevated to Zah of Asir, but merely to Malfud of Asir. It could be explained that when prayer without proper intents is elevated to the lower heaven, its elevation does not bring about that which prayer should affect. For in order for prayer to have its proper effect, such as the fulfillment of its requests, there must be drawn down into the world a degree of divine influence that transcends the world, therefore healing the sick, thereby healing the sick or providing. The year's blessings and so on. When, however, prayer is repelled to of Asiya, i.e., to that level from which all worldly things derive their life force, then this level obviously cannot provide for whatever the world is lacking. But when a properly motivated prayer reaches up to Zah of Asiya, from there an eplux can be drawn down into the world to provide whatever the world lacks, thereby fulfilling the individual's petition.
1: Uh, there was a story with a third Lubavitcher Rebbe, one of his Hasidim, um, his daughter was married, and she was unhappily married. And she told her father who would visit the Rebbe every year, he says, when you go to the Rebbe, please tell him that uh, I would like to divorce my husband, and I want his blessing. So he spoke. told the mention to the Rebbe, and the Rebbe says, my advice to your daughter is that she should not divorce Father came back. So the Rebbe advised, "You should not divorce." I said, "No." When you ask a Rebbe, you have to be very careful, because don't ask unless you plan to listen, <laughs> whether you like what he says or you don't like what he says. Better not ask. You're asking. This is what he said. Anyway, so this is what the Rebbe says. She was very unhappy, but this is what the Rebbe says. She lives next year. Father. Uh, again, going to visit Lubavitch. she asked her father again, please mention the Rebbe. It's, it's, I can't I just can't take it anymore. Another year went by, my marriage is on the rocks. Please I need to get divorced. I need I want his blessing. He mentioned it again. And the Rebbe says, Tell your daughter, my advice, I strongly advise her not to divorce her husband. Okay. The Rebbe said. third year again came back with the same answer and this time the daughter said listen, if the Rebbe wants to live with my husband that's fine, <laughs> but I have to live with my husband every day I just can't and that's it, I'm sorry and she divorced. And she remarried she couldn't have any children she asked the father go to the Rebbe and ask him for a bracha I should be able to have a child Father mentions to the Rebbe, and the devil lifts his hands and says, There's nothing I can do. I can't help you, daughter. Had she had faith in me and faith in what I was telling her, then I would be able to help But if she doesn't have faith, much as I want to help her I can't because we create our own realities you lie in the bed that you make this, this is the choices that you're making and this is what you're choosing you're choosing to operate in a natural way then by the dictates of nature it's fine but by the dictates of nature you can't have children so there's nothing I can do for you if you would choose to operate on a higher dimension, tuned in and connected to a higher dimension, a higher frequency, higher dimension, and you would have had faith when I told you not to divorce, not because I want you to be miserable, because on a higher dimension, on a higher purpose, this is, this is your purpose in life, and this is your divine mission. Then, on that level, I could bless you with a child, even though naturally you couldn't have children. But if you choose to live even I can help, and the same things with Hashem. Hashem wants to give. Hashem wants to help, but it all depends on us. If we choose to operate in a, in a natural dimension, a mm-hmm. simple level, there's no elevation. There's nothing spiritual in our life. There's nothing godly. There's nothing, no movement, no shift, no change, nothing by nature, Hashem can help If you rise above nature, ah, then miracles can happen. That influences nature. That changes nature. It's like the story of the spies. Do you think the spies were wrong when they said that we couldn't conquer Israel? They were right. They were right because if that's how uh, you follow? If you follow the dictates of nature, by nature you can't. But if had they had the faith, if they would have had the faith in Moshe and Hashem, they would be able to do. It, it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. It's not scientific. It, it's delusional. It becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. If you limit yourself and you straitjacket yourself and you operate only by laws of nature, you're right. You're stuck and you have to reckon with nature and and it's serious and that's responsible. That's what the spy said. It's a responsible thing to do. We are the leaders. We are responsible. This is the responsible thing to do. It's a nice pipe dream. Moshe has a nice pipe dream. A nice agenda to take Jews to Israel. But it's just not realistic. Moshe is sitting in the desert. His head is in the clouds. (laughs) What does he know? We're on the field. We're looking at reality. We see giants. So what are you talking about? Maybe in the desert it sounds good. It's a nice pipe dream, but it's not realistic. It's not a realistic program for real people living in the real world. And that's how many Jews thought about Judaism two hundred years ago. That Judaism is not a realistic program for the six hundred and thirteen mitzvah. The code of Jewish law is not a realistic program for real people living in the real world in the twentieth century. You're living in a shtetl if you're communing with the dancing with the angels. If you're meditating somewhere in a pristine environment, fine. But in the real world, in real life, in 2018 in the Upper East Side and Park Avenue, this is not exactly a realistic program for real people living in the real world. And it becomes a self fulfilling prophecy. But nothing could be further than the truth. If you have the inner resolution and you have the inner strength, then it is the most realistic program for real people living in the real world who will succeed fabulously with this program, as we have for the last 3,800 years, despite all the odds and despite logically and rationally, it makes no sense that we should even still be here. And here we are. Where's everyone else? Long gone and forgotten. So it is a realistic program for real people living in the world. Just like the Jews, the Canaan, was a realistic program for real people because 40 years later they were still shaking in the boots. So the whole, the whole estimation, evaluation of the spies was absolutely wrong. And the same now, all the scaremongers the scare of the Jewish people, you have to surrender Jerusalem, you have to surrender Israel, because we can't, it's impossible, it's impossible for us to fight, it's impossible for us to win. It becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. It's not scientific, it's delusional. Because if you had the faith, and you would have the trust, you would see, miraculously, that it is possible. And it would be possible, and realistic, and doable, and it would lead to peace, genuine peace. It's counterintuitive. But that's prayer. Prayer is very personal. Prayer is very subjective. But you can't take the subjective and the personal out of the picture. That's what the scientists did two, three hundred years ago, and it's so so anti-life, it's so unreal. This whole notion that we can be cold and objective and detached and scientific is so far from the truth. As the modern physicist has proven, you can't separate, you cannot separate the subjective from the objective. So whatever you're bringing to the picture, whatever subjective level you're bringing to the picture, whatever prayer, prayer is personal, prayer is subjective, prayer is your soul, your consciousness stirring your connection, consciously connecting with Hashem. Making an inner shift, an inner change. And the deeper and the more intense and the more genuine and the more sincere your inner change, that will affect the, that will influence the outcome. That will influence the outside objective world. Suddenly the sick become healed. And whatever you're praying for, prayers are answered and miracles happen. Because you pray. That is truth. So truth is very deep and very personal and very real and very dynamic. This cold objectivity simply is not real. So if you have a cold objectivity, then you are stuck. Then it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. Then you're stuck in the atmosphere. You can't go anywhere. And you're going nowhere. And you're straight yourself. And then you see, this is proof. You can. Yes, you can. You're right. And they, despise and not enter the land of Israel. Moshe didn't even pray for them. Why didn't he pray for them? He says, because you're right. You cannot enter. If you don't have that faith, if you don't have that spirit, if you don't have that subjective, that personal sacrifice and spirit, you can't. You have to remain in the desert. You can't do it. My prayer won't help. I can't pray for you. You don't have it in you. You can't separate the personal from the objective. It becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. So if you don't rise above heaven, if you hold, you can be brilliant, but you're detached, you're cold, and you're, you just operate on a surface level. Whatever the eye sees and nothing further, the scientists think, five blind men touching the elephant, and each one swearing at the elephant. One is the elephant is a rope because he's touching the nose of the elephant, and the other one swears at the elephant is a tree trunk because he's, touching the legs of the elephant. So we're like tapping in the dark, blindly, describing the universe and being convinced this is it. There's nothing else. There's no God. There's no godliness. There's nothing higher. There's nothing deeper. There's nothing genuine. There's nothing real. There's no morality. There's no ethics. There's no meaning. There's no purpose. We're just a blip. And that becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. You're stuck. And you're going nowhere. As the apparent implication in Parsha of
2: that even invalid prayer, prayer whose intent is confused by alien thoughts, ascends to the first chamber, whence it is hurled down, and this chamber is in za of Bria. It would thus seem that even an invalid prayer is at first elevated to za of Bria. This presents no difficulty for even palpable sins, minor and grave, ascend there, the even as for the fourth chamber, as is written in the Zohar.
1: So he's saying, it's not a contradiction. What he says... Everything that we do in this world rises above and then it's decided where it goes. If it's something negative, it's hurled back down. If it's something positive, then it rises. So everything comes before the upper heaven and then it's judged and it's decided. It says when a person prays, he's also judged. Does he have the merit to pray properly? you have the merit to be elevated. You have to have a merit to be able to enter into the king's palace. Not every schnook could enter into the king's palace. You have to be proper. You have to present yourself properly. You're judged. And if his prayer is not elevated or if he's not judged uh, appropriately, if he's not judged that he's proper, that he's worthy, then sometimes they disturb his prayer. They throw negative thoughts into his mind just to distract him because he's not worthy of experiencing a good prayer a genuine prayer. So we're constantly judged. So of course everything we do rises above and then it's judged if it continues to rise or if it's just thrown down and expelled. Expelled. So that rising is not the same rising as when it says elsewhere in the Zora. The elsewhere in the Zohar means rise, it means that it rises, that it's been decided, it's been judged that it should rise and should ascend. Here it's just rising just to be judged. And, and then it's decided it's thrown down and thrown back down to Earth. And it remains under our atmosphere. So even though it's using the same language, but it's not the same, same idea. Can okay, continue?
2: It is thus certain that in essence, the above ascensions are not identical. And there is no comparison or similarity between them except for the common name. This will suffice for the discerning. The elevation of good actions means that they are actually uplifted to higher degrees of holiness where they accomplish whatever they are intended to accomplish. With regard to sins, however, their elevation to the higher worlds brings about a blemish there. So too, when we say that an invalid prayer ascends to the first chamber, we are not all speaking of the same kind of elevation that takes place when a prayer is offered with the proper intent.
1: So he says, I think very powerful, that when we, we sin, we do something wrong we actually create a blemish in the higher worlds. Because we're plugged in and because we have the ability to rise and to go above, because that's who we really are. We really are spiritual beings that have come into this world that are having human experiences, but we're essentially spiritual beings. And we're even superior to the angels. Souls are much deeper than the angels. But in this world, we're lower than the angels. And therefore, we need the angels to elevate our prayers for us because the angels are purely spiritual and we are coarse, crass, and materialistic. But at the, at the, our nishamas, our souls, are really higher than the angels, superior to the angels. So because we are rooted, we are so deeply rooted, everything that we do has an effect, has an impact. If we do something positive, it has an effect. But if we do something negative, it also has a tremendous effect. It has a tremendous blemish. That's why the rabbis say, even when a Jew sins, he's Yisroel; he's connected. You see his connection even in the sin. Because the fact that a Jew can sin, and a Jew can create such a blemish, only a Jew can create such a blemish, because a Jew is so plugged in, a Jew is so connected. It was Jews who gave the world the gift of communism that destroyed, almost destroyed half of the world. Because a Jew is so plugged in and so connected, that the blemish that he creates, the effect and impact that he has. One Jew from his grave is still influencing two billion people. The idolatry, Christianity. So the power of a Jew, when he makes a blemish, when he does something right, (laughs) it's for the books. When he does something wrong, it's also for the books. Everything is on the grand scale. The positive that he does and the negative that he does. That's what he means, everything is elevated. Everything we do has an effect on high, But the, the result is, the consequence is that he's discarded. It creates a blemish, a scar. So too, when we pray, yes, everything that we do has an effect. We don't exist in a vacuum. So our prayer is elevated, Then it's examined. What kind of prayer is this? Is this a prayer that advances the world, that advances it, that's moving forward, or it's a prayer that's taking us backwards? And then, His prayer is thrown down, and he's thrown down. So this is not an elevation. (laughs) It just shows how far-reaching our words and actions have. We don't live in a vacuum. Our actions and even thoughts are very far-reaching, very powerful, for the good and for the bad. It's a very sobering thought. We're not inconsequential. Eh, who am I? I'm a nobody. What difference does it make? What does it matter? No such thing. Everything we think, everything we say, everything we do as we're studying in these essays has repercussions and implications and creates reactions and, and to the highest levels. And then it's thrown down. It ends up down here, but it, ended, it started out, it created the blemish, a scar, and it was discarded and thrown down. So, it has an impact, tremendous impact, a negative impact.
3: This will also enable us to grasp the statement in the Zohar on page 247, that in the second chamber there is to be found the one appointed over the garment, the cloth, the soul, as a result of the performance of mitzvot. The corrected Hebrew text here offers several variations. Possibly the text should read, there is found the one appointed, or possibly it should read garments are housed. Even though the mitzvot performed, and by extension the sole garments that are fashioned thereby, are in the lower Gan in the world of Asiya.
1: So the question is: Here you're saying that the garments for the neshamahs doing the mitzvot. But where do the mitzvahs reach? The mitzvahs reach in the lower Garden of Eden, the world of Asiya, lower world. And the garments are found in a higher world. The one appointed over the garments or the garments themselves are housed on a higher level.
0: Then do we say that the one appointed over or alternatively the garments of the performance of the mitzvah to be found in the second chamber of the world of Berea. However... as explained earlier, the above elevations are essentially dissimilar. Thus, though the mitzvot performed are located in the lower garden of Eden, of the world of Asiya, the soul nevertheless ascends to the second chamber of Berea and receives from there the garments that result from the performance of mitzvot. For the elevation of the soul to the level of Berea in order to receive its garments is utterly different from the elevation of the mitzvot themselves to the lower garden of Eden, of the
1: world of Asiyah. So even though he's using the same word, elevation, it's not the same idea. Here the soul temporarily is elevated to receive the garments that it needs in order to receive the, uh, from the mitzvah. But where's the mitzvah itself? Then the elevation of the mitzvah is only in the world of Asiya, lower level, when it's done without any intent. Uh, not for the sake of heaven, but not with any negative intent. It's just done neutrally. So the mitzvah is elevated, but it's only elevated to the level of the heaven in the world of action, the lowest heaven. It pierces through the heaven, our atmosphere, but it only reaches the lowest spiritual heaven. That's where the neshama reaches, with that mitzvah. But the neshama is first elevated to a higher level to receive the garments that it needs in order to receive... The, uh, uh, the mitzvah, the godliness of this mitzvah. So it's temporarily elevated to a higher level and then it's decided and it's given what it needs and then it goes permanent to the level that it achieved. So, too, when he says that the, the, the negative prayer is elevated, it doesn't mean it's elevated, that it's an elevated prayer. It's not an elevated prayer, but it first is elevated to the world and there it's decided where the prayer goes and if the prayer is rejected it's thrown away and it's rejected and it's thrown down to our atmosphere. So it's a whole different concept. Okay. And now we come to the last point.
2: Now, invalid prayer is superior to Torah studied with a distinctly improper intention for the latter is under the sun since if it is undertaken for the purpose of self-aggrandizement it does not ascend at all. While prayer... Even in prayer, is on is into the heaven, albeit the lowest heaven. But the neutral study of the Torah is without a negative intention, but is prompted merely by one's latent innate love, for unconsciously it is the love of Hashem that motivates even one's merely habitual study of the Torah. It is not inferior to the breath of the mouths of school children which ascends the love because it is the breath untainted by sin. This breath ascends aloft, even though it may be emphatically not altruistic, but only prompted by fear of punishment by the teacher. In the same way, an adult who study is of neutral intent is not tainted by sin, which it would be if it had studied for an ulterior motive, and therefore ascends heavenward. See there where the Zohar states, that the angels elevate the breath of schoolchildren to absolute
1: conclusion he says that that uh, prayer is superior to torah because prayer that's not with the proper intent is stuck in our atmosphere but is waiting to be ascended you don't even have to do teshuva you just need one proper prayer to elevate all those prayers that remain flat uh, versus uh, versus torah which is studied for ulterior motive is negative, and you have to break through that negativity and you have to do teshuvah to crack through that shell to, to release that Torah that's trapped in that dungeon. However, when you study Torah, not with the proper intent, but not with the improper intent, you're just studying Torah. Why? Because you're a Jew and it's natural. You're not thinking about Hashem, but You're not thinking anything about yourself either. In that sense, it's superior to t- prayer. Because that Torah and that mitzvah does pierce through the heavens and does ascend on high. And he says it's not worse than the studying Torah of little Jewish children. The Jewish child is not even capable of studying Torah for the right intention. Which the little children would prefer not to learn altogether. <laughs> the only reason he's sitting in first grade and second grade in Chedez is because he's afraid he's going to get whipped. Or he's going to get his privileges taken away. (laughs) He won't get his TV time or his computer time, his computer games, his toys. He's not not interested. He's not motivated. He doesn't appreciate learning for learning's sake. Which child learned for learning's sake? Many adults still uh, need uh, a a little whipping to get them in shape to learn. You know, they would rather do other things. So a child is just learning, and yet we see how precious that learning is the preciousness of little children learning. The Talmud says that the world stands on the, uh, on the learning of little children. Because, because there's something very unique and special about little children. It's called Hevel <laughs> She'im It's the breath that has no sin the simple level it's because children are asexual they're, they're, they're young they're not they don't even n- not even self conscious yet they don't know right from wrong yet the little children who run around naked without shame there, there's no there's no self consciousness like other machava before the sin in the Garden of Eden they're living in the Garden of Eden they're pure they're innocent there's no there's no uh, they're pure there's no good and, you know there's no evil they're, they're pure they're, so their voice is pure. They haven't sinned. There's no self consciousness. There's no sexuality. It's pure. It's, it's, it's innocent. It's, it's, so they, that's what's unique about about um, children. So the fifth Lubavitcher Rebbe said that he says based on a story that he heard from the Balshemtiv. you know that Rebbe Shach complained once that he spent all his youth immersed in studying Hasidism but he never spent time study, you know learning about the stories of Hasidism you know the the his whole focus was really on the substance and the essence of the deep study of Hasidic philosophy but he felt it was missing he needed that Especially now that he became Rebbe, he needed to have all that background information. So he went to visit the uh, the graves of of uh, the Balshemtiv, and he came back suddenly with a whole bunch of stories which he heard directly from the Bal Shemtev himself. And uh, one of the stories that he heard from the Baal Shemite was the fir- f- how the first time the Baal Shemite experienced the revelation of Elijah the prophet, who appeared just to him. He was 16 years old on his 16th birthday, and he was meditating and reflecting and studying. And, and the first time he sees Elijah the prophet by himself. He saw Elijah the prophet many times when he was in the companionship of his teachers and his mentors and his colleagues. But this is the first time Elijah the prophet just appeared to the Baal Shem to himself. Elijah was, was like radiant, his face, his face was radiant. And uh, he was smiling. So he says, I, thought, you know, I was very excited. So he says, why was he smiling? So Elijah said, he says, you're trying so hard. To, create, to put together all these divine unifications, mystical divine unifications of Hashem's name from the words of Tehillim and the verses of Tehillim you should know that Aaron Shlema the innkeeper and his wife was Rivka know nothing about these Kabbalistic unifications they're very simple Jews but the unifications that result from them saying all the time Baruch Hashem, blessed is Hashem May be blessed forever and ever. They were constantly praising Hashem, blessing Hashem, thanking Hashem. Those unifications res- resonated more than the unifications of the greatest mystics, rabbis, scholars, and holy saints. The pleasure that it gives Hashem and these simple Jews, uneducated perhaps, unlettered, but praise Hashem so sincerely come from the mouth of simple Jews and they're consistently praising Hashem and as a result Baal Shem Tov made a point whenever he stopped a simple Jew would ask him how are you doing how's your health how's your wife how's your kids how's your livelihood and the Jew would invariably answer thank God he just wanted to hear their response how simple Jews are constantly praising Hashem Rebbe Shah said, based on this story he understood, and Dr. Rebbe is discussing here the unique quality of the Torah study from simple children who have the purity even though there's no godly motivation, they're just studying because of their whip or because they're afraid or because they, have, they surely have ulterior motives there's absolutely no recognition of Torah study for the sake of Torah study or for any higher purpose, they're just simply the children. They just n- don't know any better. They're not, not even capable of knowing any better. But nevertheless, there's something pure about the speech, about the words that come out of their mouth when they say the bays and they pray and they study Torah, the words of Torah. So this is not limited to children. Whenever a Jew, even an adult, when he mouths the words of Torah and he mouths it so sincerely, with purity, like the simple Jew, the Tov loved the simple Jew, because he had that purity. He never lost that childlike innocence, that faith, that pure faith, that when he said Hashem's name, he said it with such, such love, and such purity, and such sincerity. And it also has that same quality. He says, and that Torah goes straight, the angels take that Torah, and it goes straight to the world of Atzillus, to the highest world, the divine realm. It's so, it's so pure. There's no interference. It goes... It goes Penetrates, pierces right, goes straight, the simple expression, the simple truth touches the simplicity of Hashem, the essence of Hashem goes straight to the hives. The only difference is, in a way, the adult who's sincere and simple is even greater than the child. Because the child is not really part of this world. He's like so pure and innocent, he's really not part of the world, he's not part of the darkness of the world. So yes, he has a tremendous effect and, and he brings protection to the world and the whole world is, is sustained in the merit of the pure uh, breath of a simple Jewish child studying Torah so purely. But the adult, because he is an adult, because he is part of this world, part of the darkness of this world, when he says words of Torah with such sincerity and such simplicity, then he draws down that light into this world. So the effect of his simplicity and the effect of his purity is it brings that purification down to this world. It can have changed the world in a very penetrating way, in a much more profound way, in a much deeper way. So this concept is not limited to just children. Children are the prime example. Children are are pure. But if an adult can achieve that same purity... And innocence, in a way, it's even superior because he can draw down that innocence and purity and that godliness into this world and change the world.
0: This class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project.
3: More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com.